One of the kids just left, uh, Mackenzie Ventura. She left this past week, and I saw her mom talking to Andrea out in the front this morning, and they're both bawling and crying their eyes out because they love their kids so much. Like throwing Andrea under the bus. <laughs> so, you know, in the next couple of weeks, if you see Andrea crying or anything, just give her a hug and tell her God loves her. <laughs> um, how many of you are glad to be in church this morning? The worship team, great job this morning. Um, we just came back from a trip to Israel, and uh, I'm going to be sharing some. Uh, different things in scripture that uh, stuck out to me as we were there for the next couple of weeks. Um, it's so awesome to be uh, in the land and the place that, that Jesus was and to be there with family. And um, the presence of God was just really awesome there. And it's awesome everywhere, but it's just neat to be in the land that uh, Jesus was. And uh, how many of you are planners? How many of you would consider yourself a planner? Raise your hand if you're a planner. How many of you live your life more spontaneous? Raise your hand if you're more spontaneous. Okay. How many, how many of you, same, a different question, how many of you think that Jesus was a planner? Raise your hand. How many of you think Jesus was spontaneous? See, it's kind of funny. All the planners think Jesus is a planner. All the spontaneous think Jesus is spontaneous, just like me. But um, <laughs> how many of you know that, that God has made all of us in his image? And we all have different aspects that represent God. He puts a little bit of himself in all of us. And so God himself is both planner and spontaneous. Yeah, in my family, my mom is definitely the more spontaneous person. We were on a mission trip um, years ago in Okinawa. And I remember sitting as we're driving in this truck and uh, there was like this mess that was on the dashboard of the truck and she had a cup of water and I was sitting right next to her and we're driving and as, as we're on the road, she takes the cup of water and she just dumps it on the, on the dashboard and it fills the whole dashboard with water and I, I'm looking at it and now it's more of a mess and she looks at me and she goes, do you have a towel? And I was like, no. And she goes, oh, do you have something to wipe this up with? And I'm thinking, that's exactly characteristic of my mom. Like, she doesn't plan ahead. She just, like, does something and then takes care of the mess later. Um, whereas my dad, on the other hand, he's, a, he's much more of a planner. And, uh, and so I've always thought that God is more spontaneous and that I don't need to be a planner because, you know, in my family, there's Sharina, and she does all the planning for everybody. Um, but on this trip, I realized that it's not just personality traits, but Jesus himself is a planner. And so it made me want to be a little bit more organized and not just be a planner myself, but respond to plans. Hey! <laughs> all the people that are planners irritated with the spontaneous um, love prepares. Everyone say love prepares. And, and also love responds to the preparer. Uh, my wife is a good, she plans meals, right? And she makes meals. And now that my kids drive, it was always, we had a captive audience before where she would 
make a meal, and everybody was home. But what we found in the past year or so is that she can make meals and nobody shows up to them. You have, oh, everybody's like, oh. <laughs> because everybody has experienced that, right? And you understand the wrath that you incur when you don't show up for a planned meal, right? If you guys have younger kids and aren't there yet, you'll get there. And, and, uh, and there's nothing that irritates my wife more than when she makes a hot, fresh, cooked meal, and then the kids call and say, hey, I'm not going to be home tonight because I'm going to stay at grandma's, or I'm not going to be home tonight because I have, I'm going to go to my friend's house. And then, you know, the house is not a pleasant place <laughs> after that. Um, off topic, can I just give you, like, just a fun little thing that I learned about my sister on this trip to Michigan, uh, on the trip to Israel. So we're on the trip to Israel, and, and Malia said that, Malia, who's my sister's daughter, um, she was telling us about this experience because we're talking about meals, and this kind of goes along with that. But my sister would make this chicken, cheese chicken, that everybody hated. And my sister herself would not eat this chicken. She'd make it for the family, and then she'd prepare her own little meal on the side. And, and nobody said anything because everybody loves Sharina. They just don't love her cooking. And one day, Malia came back from, from basketball, totally tired, and she went into the kitchen and saw that this meal was cooked, and she just couldn't take it anymore. And she said, Mom, nobody likes this. This is gross. You don't even eat this. How many would be brave enough to tell your mom something like that? She had to be really tired. Catherine <laughs> said, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so my sister goes, you know what? You have a bad attitude. I want you to mow the lawn. Nine o'clock at night. So she forces Malia to go mow the lawn 9 o'clock at night till 11 o'clock at night. Ryan calls her in, and then Malia said it was completely dark. So in the morning when we looked at the lawn, it was all like, <laughs> like that. Anyway, I just ratted out Sharina. <laughs> but that was like a, just a fun story. Anyway, Jesus prepares... Love prepares and also love responds to preparation, right? A mother loves her kids, so she prepares a meal. But then kids, responding to that preparation, they show love by showing up for the cooked meal. Amen? Okay, what does this have to do with anything? All right, let's, let's read. Uh, Mark 4, 37 through 39. Let's read this at the count of three. One, two, three. And, great, and a great windstorm arose... And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Everyone say pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. The question is, what was the pillow? What was the pillow? Because they didn't have posturepedic, they didn't have memory foam. What was Jesus using as a pillow? 
And if you understand what Jesus is using as a pillow, you have insight into his character, who he was as a person and God, and appreciate who he is and, and become more like him. Let's, let's open in a word of prayer. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us, and you love us more than we understand and more than we, more than we know. And God, we pray that you would open up your scripture to us. Help us, Lord, to uh, see a new aspect of your character. And as the scripture says, that we will be like him because we will see him for who he is. God, we pray that as we see you in a clearer way, Lord, that you would change and transform us to be more like you. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. So what I want to do is I want to outline a couple of scriptures that show us Uh, scriptures that Jesus himself taught that show us that preparation is an an important uh, character trait to have in our lives. Uh, But because, not just because preparation is important, but because preparation is done out of a heart of love. So the first one, the wise virgins prepared for the bridegroom. Let's read the scripture together at the count of three. And most of us know this uh, parable. This is the five foolish, the five wise, the five wise virgins, they had oil in their lamps. The five foolish did not have oil in their lamps. And so when the bridegroom came, the five foolish said to the five wise, hey, we need some oil. And then the five wise said, we prepared in advance. We bought our things. We, were, we knew what was happening before it happened. And so we have oil and we don't have enough for you. You, it was your responsibility to prepare. And, and so the bridegroom came as the Five foolish left to go get their oil. The five wise were prepared. They could light their lamps, and then they left with the bridegroom. So uh, this is from Matthew 25, 8 through 10. Let's read this together at the count of three. One, two, three. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. So the the ones who were unprepared, they missed out on an opportunity because they didn't plan in advance. One of the things that um, we learned as we were in Egypt, Egypt, in Israel, was the process of making olive oil. And there's a crushing and a pressing that happens to the oil, uh, to the olive that produces the oil. And one of the interesting things that Arya said was, Arya was um, the teacher that was with us. He said that uh, when you crush something, whether it's grapes and you turn it into wine, or uh, you crush olives and turn it into oil, is it's actually a preserving process because wine lasts forever, oil lasts forever. And the crushing and the pressing of it is, is a preserving process for uh, the olive and the grape. And he said, thus it is in our lives that a lot of times we go through crushing, we go through pain, we go through suffering, and it's not pleasant, but God's preparing us for eternity. There's something that happens in our character as we suffer. There's something that happens in our, char- in our character as we go through pain that molds us and shapes us into the image of Christ, and it's something that there's a stamp of eternity on it. It, it. And so 
God sees long-term. He sees past uh, the, the next decade, two decades, five decades. He sees into eternity and everything that he does. It says not, not all things are good, but all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so, so part of the preparation process involves pain, but that pain shapes us for an eternal purpose. Uh, the second thing, the Samaritan prepared for the wounded traveler. The Samaritan prepared for the wounded traveler. Uh, this is a picture of what the desert looks like in between Jerusalem and Samaria. So we were in this desert. Uh, this is R.A., the teacher that uh, was teaching at all the different sites. And um, can go to the next slide. This is what the desert looks like. Now, how many of you can see uh, a Walgreens there? Or a Walmart? Or a Kmart? Or anything? There's, there's really nothing there. And, and this is what uh, Jesus says about the Good Samaritan. Okay, what Jesus says about the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, he says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds. Everyone say, bandaged his wounds. Pouring on oil and wine. Say, oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and took him to an inn. And took care of him. So the thing to take away from this is that Samaritan, the only one, because there was a Pharisee and there, there was a, a, another person that came and they both passed uh, the traveler that was wounded on the way. None of them were prepared to help except the Samaritan because there was no place that he couldn't just jump in a car and go to, to Walgreens and get the bandages and get the wine and get the oil and you know, he had everything with him. So when he left Samaria on his way to Jerusalem, he had everything prepared. So he could, he could take care of him. Um, I remember in eighth grade, um, I had a teacher, Miss Barnett. And one of the things that she taught us was that you need to be prepared for when Jesus returns. And Jesus constantly in scripture says, be prepared for I come at an hour that you do not expect and you know not. And so one of the things that she did, Miss, Miss Bar Barnett, I think, her, Miss, I think it was Miss Barnett. Anyway, um, we went to Doris Todd in private school. And she, so she, she said, I'm going to have this project or this you know, field trip. And I'm going to show up to your house. And you're going to jump in my car, my van, exactly with what you're wearing. And you can prepare a bag with some clothes in it but I'm going to come to everybody's house on an undisclosed night, and we're going to have a, a sleepover at my house. And so we were all freaked out because I asked her, well, what if we're in the shower? And she goes, then you, right when you come out, whatever you're wearing, that's what you're going to, that's what you're going to, what if our, and all the girls are like, what if our hair is not done? What if this is? She goes, whatever, however you are, that's how you're coming. And so she actually did that. She came and she picked us up on a night that nobody was suspecting, and we all had a sleepover at her house. But I never forgot that because it was a picture of when Jesus comes, he's going to come at an hour that no one knows, but will we be prepared? Uh, the Samaritan was prepared. The wise uh, virgins were prepared. The father prepared for the prodigal son. Um, 
He arose and came to his father because love prepares. He, he arose, uh, the prodigal son came after he had spent uh, all of the father's money, rebelled against the father, gave himself to wasteful living. And when he finally came to rock bottom, he came back to his father. And the father, instead of rejecting him, he accepted him and prepared a meal for him. And it says, and he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great ways away, his father saw him and had compassion. There's that word compassion again. Compassion. He ran and he fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son. He was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. How many of you are grateful that God doesn't hold our fault against us? And whenever we repent, he's there with compassion. Not just there with compassion to forgive us, but it said that he clothed his son with a robe, signifying that he was still his son. He gave him a ring on his finger, signifying that he had authority, and then gave him sandals on his feet, signifying that there's still a purpose and a plan for him. God gives us all purpose, authority, identity to accomplish what he has for us, and he prepares all this for us. Okay, so I'm setting a background for the first scripture. Yeah, I'm all like all over the place. Are you guys still with me though? Okay. Okay, here it is. Number four, Jesus prepared for the possessed man. Um, I'm going to read. You guys don't have notes because our... Um, our office is in renovation right now. Um, but I'm going to read from Mark. This comes from Mark chapter 4, and it's the, um, the story of Jesus and the demoniac. Uh, before, I want to show you pictures because we were there. Uh, this is a picture of us on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, that mountain to the left, behind us to the left, is uh, the coast of Tiberias. And uh, many biblical scholars believe that that hill right there was the place where Jesus fed the 5,000. And so he fed the 5,000 there. Um, it's from that place. I don't like this picture because it makes Caden look much bigger than me. But um, So then we were on the Sea of Galilee, and then from the Sea of Galilee, we went to that cliff, the top of that cliff. And so you can go to the next slide. This is the top of that cliff. And... Um, and so you can see the entire sea. The, the really cool thing about the Sea of Galilee is the way that the cliffs surround the water, it makes anything that happens on the shore or on the sea almost like a, a, a megaphone. So when you're up on the cliff, you can see all the little white marks on the water. Those are all like motorboats and, um, and jet skis. You could hear the sound of the jet skis from way up there, and you could even hear the voices of the children on the jet skis screaming as they're playing uh, on, the, on, on the, the lake. So when Jesus... Uh, okay, and then on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, that is the coastline of uh, Gadarenes. 
I don't know how to pronounce that, but that's the place that the demon-possessed man lived. Um, so you can go to the next slide. These are the kids. They're playing around on the cliff that uh, we hiked up to. Caden doesn't look amused. Um, <laughs> but Riley and Malia, guys. And then this place, so then we drove around the lake, and this is uh, the spot that many believe the pigs from the demoniac jumped off of the cliff into the water. Because it's one of the only places that there is a cliffside uh, that touches the water where pigs could have jumped off a cliff and, and fallen in. Um, so this is that place. Uh, you can go to the next slide because Caden's standing, looking cool, acting cool. But he's not cool. Nah, he is cool. Um, so, so that's the place. Um, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 4. And this is um, what the scripture records of uh, this event. Now, when he had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And a great windstorm arose, and the, w the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Everyone say pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you had no faith? And they feared exceedingly and they said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the seas obey him? Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gadonares. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. So if you can imagine that area that I showed you, at night, you can hear everything. When there was like, you know, music being played, when there was anything that was happening, you could hear it very clearly on the shore, on the coastline. So if there's this man in the middle of the night screaming, as the scripture says, every day and every night cutting himself, how many would know or how many would assume that Jesus heard this man's cries? And he heard this man's cries often as did everyone in that area. And it was a daily thing and nobody could tame him. And he had shackles on his hands that he would break. And it said that when he came out, when Jesus saw him from afar, this man ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. And he said, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he said, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. There was about 2,000. 
and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Okay, so who are the first people that saw this happen? The disciples, Jesus, but who are the ones that saw this whole event happen? The herdsmen. And where did the herdsmen go? Did they stay around? Did they hang around? No, they ran to tell people in the city. And then people in the city came out to see what happened, right? And what did they see? Then they came to see Jesus, and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, and they saw him sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They came and they saw him sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Are you guys piecing this together? What was the pillow? The clothes. Is that consistent with Jesus' nature? Let's read Genesis 3.21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. In Ezekiel 16.8 it says, So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord. Mark 5.15. And then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Isn't that awesome? That totally changed my perspective of this miracle because it wasn't this just this spontaneous miracle, but Jesus had heard this man screaming and cutting himself every night and made a point that when everybody else pushed him and isolated him and, and, and didn't, want ha- didn't want to have anything to do with him, and he was in the mountains, isolated, alone, in the tombs, Jesus, where, where, where the community and the, the people around him, his family, friends, neighbors, looked at him as someone who had no value, was worth no time, and they just wanted to chain him up and be done with him. Jesus made the point to cross the water and not just cross the water because of his intent to heal him, but he took clothes that could easily be assumed that that was his pillow. And he took it predetermining that he was not just going to heal this man, but then to cover him. is that awesome? That he was on the mind of Jesus. It wasn't just a miracle he performed, but, but Jesus prepared to, to, to heal him and clothe him. So how does this affect our relationship with the Lord? In the same way that the Samaritan prepared to heal the man on the side of the road, the same way that the father prepared to restore his son, the same way that Jesus prepared with, a, with clothes to not just heal, but then to cover the nakedness of this man. Jesus prepares for you. 
Jesus prepares for me. John 14, 1 through 3, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be too. Isn't that awesome? And how many believe that the, the house, the mansion that Jesus makes, it's a pretty cool place. He wasn't a carpenter for nothing. <laughs> We're going to see his, his skill and his craft when, when we get there. He's preparing for us. And then here, the same way that a mother prepares for her children and, and creates a feast to partake of, Jesus does the same for us. He says, you prepare a table. Let's read this together. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. The same way that Jesus, the father, prepared this table for his prodigal son in the presence of the older brother that was condemning him and didn't want to have anything to do with that feast, Jesus prepares this table for you and for me. In the presence of people who think we don't deserve it, in the presence of your enemies, he prepares a table for you. Let's continue. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. The same way that the good Samaritan prepared oil and prepared wine to heal the man that needed healing, our God prepares a table for us. He anoints our head with oil. He gives us wine. Our cup runs over. There's so many things. I, when, when I was, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I remember, I want to ask you a question. Is there healing that you need? Emotional healing, physical healing, mental healing? Is there provision that you need? What is it that you need? Because our God prepares a table for us. I remember my dad telling me about one of the most difficult times in his life, and it was when he trusted a pastor to co-pastor with him and ended up uh, that the church went into a church split, and somebody that he trusted uh, betrayed him, and, and it was very hard for him. And he said, so I asked him, how did you get over that betrayal? How did you trust again? And he said that every day he would go into Eau Valley and he would spend a good hour just praying and being alone with the Lord. And he said it took two years for him to completely heal from that trauma, but that it was the presence of the Lord on a consistent basis that brought him healing. And, and I know there's other people, there's that have gone through traumatic things in their lives, even here in our congregation, whether it's loss of a loved one or loss of a job or betrayal or, or physical, uh, physical ailments that uh, you don't understand. Like there's a lot of different things that happen in our lives that cause us pain. And, and to, to mitigate that pain, we can go to anywhere and anything to try to find healing for those things. But what God says is he provides this table. 
before us. And I never thought about, about it like that. But he's a preparer. And so visually in my mind, I'm thinking, in the morning when I wake up, there's this buffet that God prepares for me of everything that I need for my mental health, for my emotional health, for my physical health, for wisdom for the next day and the next week. He prepares this table before me that I can partake of, just like a mom does for her family. But so many times I'm like my son, <laughs> like my daughter. Hey, uh, I'm going to go cruise with my friends. And that, that table goes unpartaked of. And I want to encourage you that we have a God that loves us, that knows every need that we have, that, is, that wants to and capable of healing every wound. And all it takes is for us to abide in him. It says that if we abide in him, that we will bear much fruit. And so no matter where you are, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what your need is, there's a table that is prepared for you because love prepares. Amen? Amen. How many of you are grateful that you serve a good God? Amen. Shucks. We're like two minutes over. But let's close with God is good. Can we close with God is good? God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word, that you are an amazing, amazing God. The same way that you fed the multitudes, but after feeding the multitudes, you were deeply concerned with that one person across the sea, and you made an effort to buy clothes for him, to jump into a boat, and to cross the sea, not just to heal him, but then to cover his nakedness. God, every single one of us are in need of you. Every single one of us is that man that's filled with things that we need to be delivered of. Every single one of us is that, that man that needs healing on the side of the road of Samaria. Every single one of us is that lost prodigal son. And, and you know where we are. You know the things that we need. And you have prepared a table for us. God, I pray that you would help us Lord, to see you as one who prepares, but also to respond to that love by responding to that preparation and meeting you. In Jesus' name, cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house that you prepare us, prepare for us forever. God, we thank you that you've adopted us and called us into your family, that you've called us into your family for a purpose. Help us to be the hope, to share the hope that you've given us to the world who doesn't know you. Continue to lead and guide and direct our steps. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Can we give the Lord a hand? Thank him for who he is.